Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I traveled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Just over uh, 20 years ago, this man that we're going to speak today was showing Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo the way. He probably wouldn't thank me for the comparison, but Clive Allen, back in the day, playing 4-5-1 under David Bleat, with, um, I don't know, Richard Goff, Chris Waddle, Glenn Hoddle, Ozzy Ardiles. He was able to score nearly a half century of goals in a time when that was utterly outlandish. He comes from a brilliant football family and one to whom I'm happy to be royally linked. Linked because in September 1975, I watched the man who would brutally scythe down Clive's cousin in an FA Cup final throw his jersey at the Aberdeen manager and stomp out of Petodri and move to... Yes, Willie Young will be in this interview. So will George Best. So will... Well, if you're English, thank Clive for Harry Kane. Again, Clive wouldn't thank me, but would Harry Kane be the finisher? He is now, if it hadn't been for Clive coaching him at Spurs. We're going to talk about um, bereavement. Not of a family member, but when your career goes away. We're going to talk about things that make our poor guest cry. We're going to talk about NFL and how a man in a wheelchair taught Clive to kick. This interview has a kick and this interview is with a man I absolutely adore. A proper football man, great storyteller and somebody to whom you will warn. Clive Allen on The Big Interview. It's an interesting one they say here. I like this one because it's a different theme from Bet365. They ask, of the strikers playing today, 
Who would you most closely compare yourself to? Wow, that is a that's a that's a very very good question, difficult one to answer. Modern day striker, I'd like to think I score goals like Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. I've uh, obviously had the I've had the privilege of working with Harry when he came in as a I think kid. That's a two way street. I think he's a lucky man too. Um, and I think that I don't like to say things like, well, I, I'd like to think that I influenced him and helped him. I hope I did. But I, I saw a lot in his mentality and his approach and the way he arrived at the club as a young man, as a young boy, and developed himself and, and was had a, a an amazing desire, desire to improve, to score goals. And the most important thing was he loved scoring goals. And that's what he's gone on to do to an extraordinary level, I believe, over the last few years. So I'd like to be considered or compared with, with Harry Kane, would you believe? No, that's a nice answer. I know that in your days at Spurs as one of the coaching staff, you worked very hard on his finishing, supplying him crosses, looking at how he hit the ball, the timing of his arrival, which foot he would finish with. And and a couple of people have spoken to me about him. I remember speaking to David Pleat, who was your manager in that season when maybe you were maybe you're at your peak, I don't know, but certainly your numbers and a cup final. I remember him talking about watching Harry when he was both in the reserves and on loan and thinking, Gosh, Harry, you've just not got that that turn of pace into a situation that you can see or away from a player. And he remembered watching him about six months later and Harry had shed a little bit of weight and, and Pleat had said to him, learn to read more so that it compensates for maybe if you haven't got an unbelievable sprint. And David said that, that Kane had taken that, worked on it, and utterly transformed himself to the point that David was like, was well, that the same player? That's the kind of determination to self-improve that you're talking about. Absolutely. He, he had a desire to improve every aspect of his game. Mentally, he was strong. He had to be. You have to be to, to get to the level we had. Physically, he worked tirelessly at trying to find that little bit more pace. Technically, unbelievable in the way that he improved himself. And that was hours of practice, a real desire, and then, then that belief to carry that through. Um, and Harry did that. Nothing but admiration for him. I held my hand up, said it many times before. When he arrived, you couldn't see Harry Kane doing what he's done today at that stage. And he has to take full credit for that. What did you try and... Apart from the, the day-to-day doing, what did you try and tell him? Just, just have that desire to, to, want to, to want to be the best, to want to improve. But he, ha- he, he wanted that competition. He wanted every day at the end, just do that little bit more. Come on, coach, let's, let's have a competition. And, and I, I laugh about it now, I joke about it now. It probably was about a year, 18 months before, in those shootouts, he was beating me. And when he was beating me, you knew, uh, that's it. I hold my hand up. You've, you, not that you've done it, but you're on your way. You're because he had, that, he had that desire every day. Every day he wanted to do it. He what, wanted to improve. What were the shootouts? It just might be, you know, six shots from an angle or, or whatever it was, ten volleys, just in, honing all those, all those skills, but wanting to be, like we said, practice makes perfect. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be. Every time that chance come, and now, whenever you see him, I always feel, and you look at him, when that chance comes, more often than not, he's going to take it. He's going to score. But he's had to work to get to that position. One of the people I listened to chatting about him was in Barcelona. Mickey Hazard said that he reckons, I think he believes, 
that Harry wants to beat Jimmy Greaves' Spurs scoring record. It's it's amazing that I mean not everybody listening to this will even understand that what a what a Graham, can I stop you there? Was. I grew up listening to my father telling me he was the greatest goal scorer he's ever seen. Mm. And he replaced my father. Everyone says, my dad played in the best Tottenham team ever, 66. The, the double winners, the double, right? the, Every Tottenham team since has been living up to that team and has not matched it. My dad, who played in that team and was one of three who played every game that season, then was replaced by Jimmy Greaves. And yet my father still was telling me years later, he was the greatest goal scorer I've ever seen. He was just amazing. If you can beat a fraction of what Jimmy Greaves is as a goal scorer, watch him. Watch the way he passes the ball into the corner of the net. That's a phrase that people use. So just, for again, for those who haven't seen Jimmy, when we talk about passing the ball, try and put yourself in Jimmy's boots. What does that mean when that phrase... Because it, it's a phrase that just gets repeated now, Clive. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to smash the ball. It doesn't have to be the hardest shot in the world to score, to beat the goalkeeper. There's angles, there's opportunities, there's openings that you have to have an appreciation and then you have to have an ability that you can actually pass it. Like passing it past a defender into a space or into a a teammate, you can pass it into the back of the net. And Jimmy Greaves was the greatest of anyone doing that and his record is there. Obviously, his his club record is there to be beaten. I think there's a link between two players. Gerd Muller moved a lot less than Jimmy. Jimmy's movement was as if he, his feet didn't touch the he was, ground. He was incredibly quick yeah. across the ground, uh, very nimble, athletic. Really Mo- graceful. Mo- Muller was the bomber, wasn't he? He was the mm. solid. He was a great finisher. The finishing is, is where I see a link, not just that they scored goals, but Muller was all about the simplest way to get the ball past the goalkeeper. Yeah. It was that whatever is the right thing, I'll do it. It doesn't have to be flair or power. It's just get it, get it in where he can't touch it. And, and that linked into to, to the great Jimmy Greaves for me. And Messi too, because Messi will, will, you know, he's got all kinds of tricks. And, and Messi probably, I think, even though I didn't see Jimmy play live, probably will prove to have been the more all-round footballer. And, and he's not been tempted in a, any way off the pitch, which has kept him great for, for longer. But Messi isn't about, part, again, for him, it's about like, I'm going to turn, I'm going to take you on a track you don't want to go to, and when you think you've got me, I'm going to go one step more and I'm going to angle it past the goalkeeper. It doesn't have to be power. And to me, it's evocative of, of Jimmy Greaves, and that's why it took so long for Messi to, to, to overtake Jimmy Greaves' record. People forget that too. Absolutely. And, and can Harry do it? I think he can. Mm. I think uh, it's not going to be easy, and he needs, obviously, that there has to be some good fortune about it as well because he needs to stay fit. He needs to stay athletic. He needs to have that desire. And as long as he has that, he has a, he has a chance of doing it. It's a funny old thing. I think he was in the Arsenal system and he was let go. Yes. Or at least it didn't happen for him there. But in, in your honest assessment of saying that you didn't quite see it when he came, it wasn't, certainly wasn't Harry Kane that you see now, maybe that's how you get away, how, why a great player, which but, he is now, but slips Graham, through a there, system. There was one thing that stood out with Harry Kane from the very first moment he walked into the club, playing in the, the, the academy sides, wherever he was playing, he might have had the quietest game, but the ball drops in the box, and who's there and who scores? Harry Kane. So then, as a development coach at that time, mm-hmm. you speak to the, the academy uh, manager, Alex Inglethorpe, who was coaching him in the early days, you, they go away the next week, so obviously you're, you're taking your group, you don't see the academy, you come back, how'd you get on? What was who played well? As are the you know the normal sorts of questions that you'll be asking the academy coach, 
And finally, who scored? Well, yeah, we uh, we won 4-2. Um, it might have been Andrews Townsend at the time, Ryan Mason, and Harry Kane scored two. So the following week, they're back at home, so you make a point. You're there watching the academy boys playing. Quiet game, nil-nil. All of a sudden, ball drops. No one really is impressing. Ball drops. Who's there? Harry Kane goal. Ah, oh, right. So three weeks on the bounce, he's, he's had chances, he's scored goals. And straight away, you know uh, there's something there because that doesn't happen by chance. OK, that's, you, you've anticipated the next question. You did that. So why does that happen? How does it happen? Because you, ha- you have to have a, a, an incredible strength of, of belief and mentality that you've got to get in the right places, you've got to, you've got to anticipate and expect it to happen. And if you keep doing that and then you hone your ability, you can you can put the ball you can put the finishing touch, you can put the ball in the back of the net, and that, that's what Harry's done. But it's not all logical. Some of it's a sixth sense that some strikers have, right? Or Absolutely, wrong? yeah. You can see that in strikers. There's strikers that they're not prominent in the game in certain other areas, but when it comes they come alive. Terry Venables always used to say about me when I worked for him, and I worked for him on three different occasions, one of the best coaches I've ever worked for, he used to say to me, Clive, I love it when you score. And I said, well, why is that? He said, because you come alive. He said, all of a sudden, I can see that you're looking for the next one. It's not, I've scored, you're looking for the next one, and you're alive, you're, you're looking for that space. Where's the ball going to drop? What's going to happen next? And he said, and he always said that to me. And if I'd had a game or two where I hadn't scored, the, the biggest lesson that he taught me was that if I was say out of form goal scoring wise which fortunately wasn't too often three or four games you didn't score he actually said to me one day I don't want you to practice because I practiced every day I was doing extra finishing every day after it was just the the routine the way I worked he said I don't want you to practice and it was like I I can't do that he said no and I'll tell you why why is that Terry because you're practicing bad habits at the moment, you're out of form, your timing's just off, so you're actually practicing a bad habit. So don't do it. You'll play, you'll score, he said, and then you've got to practice, because then you're practicing the right things, your timing's good, you're making things permanent. And that was one of the, one of the I think, greatest lessons for me as a goal scorer at, at the time when I was playing. But Terry, apart from being right, Terry's also a man who... He finds it very easy to convince people because he, he's utterly, he's leader, proper leader, really beguiling man. He, he, t- he told us once we, we went to his lovely hotel, um, Hidden Hotel, uh, near Alicante. He told us he was, he was quite keen on sprinting. And, and did he get you sprinting? Certainly at Palace he got the players. And I think he takes credit for Kenny Sanson. Sprint. Anyway, he, he was pretty big on sprinting. He, he was... Innovative all all his career as a coach, and that was that was one of the. I always felt I just he, he loved players asking questions because he invariably had the answers, and he he wanted players, he wanted them to express their imagination in the way that they worked, and I always said, what, people say, what was what was his best, what was his biggest strength, and I'd say that he'd put a session on, maybe it be for the forwards or even me as an individual, and two or three weeks down the road. In a game, something would happen. You'd make a run. You'd go into a, a, an area or a situation that you'd practiced a few weeks back, not just a few days ago, and it happened. And the chance came. You scored the goal, and and he knew, and you knew as a player. And that's where he was very special. You ever sung with him? No. Oh, only only a 
cup final song, Queen's Park Rangers, but I can't sing. He could sing. He's got a voice, doesn't he? He's got a voice, yeah. Only t- it, you see, old London again does me in, but like only Terry could get married on the morning of a North London derby and have his opposite number, George Graham, as his, his best, best man. man. They nick off to the game. and If I'm not wrong, I think George did Terry 4-0. I'm sure it's Terry's wedding. And Arsenal did. <laughs> and then obviously George, like that? Then, then George worked with him and he was the coach at Queen's Park Rangers when I was there. So Terry was manager. George was actually um, a, academy manager initially when he first started. My cousin Martin, who, who played as, a, as a, a youth team player under George Graham. And I remember Martin saying to me, first week in, he said to me, I said, like, you know, what's George like? How is he? And I'm, I'm a senior player at the time, working for Terry Venables as, a, as the manager. He said, he's going to be a top manager, and that was my 17 year old cousin in his first week working with George Graham. Football sense, I suppose. Football, football knowledge, and the football life. That, that's the way it's been. George is another leader. This is one from Finlay McDonald. Finlay's asked about getting a pass from Chrissy Waddle. Now. We went to Chris's house and we did. He was one of the earliest podcasts and it was extraordinary. You, you played with Chris, not for a huge amount of time, but like when we asked him to describe his art, he was really good at describing how close to a player he'd get, you know, where he'd be looking, body. But Graham, I say the best thing about the biggest compliment I can pay Chrissy Waddle is he was the best player at standing still with the ball between his feet and he would beat you from that position. Because he had a body swerve, he dragged the ball and was so deceptively quick from standing still. And that, that for me, I always remember Chrissy Waddle in that way because he was just something special. As soon as he had the ball between his feet and he was standing still, he beat the fullback, whoever they were. So what did you have to do as a striker to take the benefit from... How, how easy was it to learn and anticipate what he was going to do? Timing of your movement? Well, I would say then, as soon as I saw Chrissy with the ball between his feet and he was standing still, I'd actually run away from the area that I wanted to end up in. So I then moved away. So if he was on the right touchline, I'd run a- away from the play to then come back to where, as soon as he dragged that ball... I had to attack the space because he delivered it into that so space. So you didn't want to be in the place that you needed to be because you'd have been then stationary. You wanted to be moving into where you reckoned it was going. And if so the I'd ball's move away from his it. Feet, he's got, yeah. You've got a little bit of time to go away and come back in. It's like I knew what he was going to do, whether he'd go left or right. How, how did you know? Because as soon as he's standing still, I know what's coming. The body swerve, he's going to drag it and he's going to, he's going to attack the space where he drags the ball. And then the next, the next thing is the pass. He's coming in. He's going to deliver it. What were the passes right like? What would they feel like when they're arriving? They, they were side-footed passes into the space, into the area that I was going to be running into. And, and we had that relationship. Were you meeting them with volleys, half volleys? Depend, depend how what he put on it, whether he whipped it, whether he clipped it, whatever it was. But I knew that if I attacked that space more often than not, he delivered it into that area. Is it unu- isn't it unusual for a man of his physical size to be able to do the things you've been describing? Not many wide players are built like him. No, exactly. Yeah, he he he, he didn't look. No, no disrespect to Chris, he didn't look like an uh, an athlete. He was languid in the way that he moved, but. He was quick and he was clever. There have, I don't think there have been, in my experience, many, many better England players. 
might be some that people preferred or some that lasted longer, but certainly the ones that would get me off my seat and make me, you know... Well, I would say wide players. Chris, he played down the middle as well mm-hmm. because he was quick enough and he was clever enough to play as a centre-forward down the middle. But I think, you know, he, he's, he's more renowned and known for, for, the, for the performances from a wider position. Mm. How much time did you spend with Ozzy Ardiles? Ozzy was, I played with Ozzy for uh, two years. Yeah. I always describe Ozzy as the best rider of tackles that I've seen, where it was as if the ball was on the end of his toe, and as challenges come in, he'd tow the ball away from you, and then he'd literally he'd sit on, on midfield players' thighs and ride challenges. And he, was, he, he glided, he, he, was, he was nimble, and um, he, was a great, he was a great foil for, for Glenn. And Glenn, we talked about passers of the ball. For me as a striker, Glenn Hoddle was the best passer of the ball I could ever wish to play, play with and, and, and for. That partially explains, I suppose, that extraordinary season. Was it 4-5-1? David, David Pleats the manager. Not at the start. Not no. at the start of the season. Why, why the change? Um, he just decided with the players, and, and he, has the great, uh, he has to take great credit for that, David Pleat. The, the system was designed for the players he had rather than the players going into a system. Mm, that's the way it should and, be. And he, he got it right. And basically, I always say that releasing Glenn Hoddle from a, a defensive responsibility, putting a fifth man in the midfield where we played a game, short passing, controlled possession of the ball, outnumbered the opposition in there who were playing a rigid 4-4-2, we just, we just dominated the ball, dominated possession. And people said I played as a lone striker. I didn't. You had Chris Waddle on the, on the right more often than not or on the left, and my cousin on the right, Paul, and, and we had, and Glenn, who, who played in the pocket. Probably like a pocket, 10. Like a 10. And when we, when we had possession of the ball, we fed him with the ball. I made a run, invariably, he found me with a pass, and I had an opportunity to score. And it worked perfectly. The teams didn't know how to cope with us mm. because they'd not experienced that before. All of a sudden, hold on, they've got an extra man, they've got possession of the ball, we, we passed it, we moved, and um, we, played some, we played some scintillating football. I think it's one of the teams that stands out. I think people remember that team with gigantic affection and admiration. And at the time, it was a sensation. I think I think maybe like the Keegan Newcastle, for example, yeah. gave every second team, everybody who didn't have a, a you know a dog in the fight was like, yes, yeah, Spurs, Spurs this season, the way they play, it was gorgeous. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. But we have to wrap up with a couple of, th- couple of themes. Um, one is something that I think stands out from the book. You're at West Ham, which I'd, I'd be bold enough to say might might be the team that kind of gets most affection from you or most residual of, you know, you you didn't grow up supporting a club, but it's the nearest to home. It's got to hold something for you. It's Cambridge. It's vital to win. I think you're just back from it. I'm not sure if it was a hamstring. Calf. Calf injury. It was, uh, yeah, the calf that that sort of um, brought my career to an end. I struggled with over the last few but years. But you're back in time. And in the story you tell, it, there's, there's a guy who comes out pretty strongly, which is Julian Dix, who I think has kind of been a little bit forgotten and probably wasn't that well understood because people focused on how he looked, what his attitude was, some of his behaviour. When they play, forget. Players get a reputation. Mm. Um, and sometimes the, the, the one thing that's overlooked is how good a footballer are they? Julian Dix was a fantastic footballer. He could have played centre forward. He could have played right wing. He had a magnificent left foot, but could have played anywhere on the park. He played in goal. He played he in goal for us, the yeah. teams he played for. Yeah, Julian was 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 a, a crazy guy. Um, he wasn't the best trainer, but he was a wonderful footballer. He had he had great belief in his ability. He was tough. He was strong, and he had that reputation. And that sort of preceded him at times, which was I felt unjust because he was a. It obscured the real talent. Exactly. You don't attract the attentions of Liverpool. You don't go and play for Liverpool if, mm. if and, and you know historically over the years, Liverpool buy players in in their day. It took you a year before you got anywhere near the team. But Julian went there and was a, was a, a top player there, but but a magnificent player at West Ham. What made him tick that gave him that sort of slightly? I don't know if it's rebellious or anarchic reputation. What made him tick as a man? With all great players, they have a belief in their ability, what they know that they can do, and 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 also they produce it. They produce it in games. They love entertaining people. And he, he the bottom line, he loved to play football. Hmm. Wayne Rooney loved to play football. The top players, the best players, doesn't matter what's going on, they love to play the game. And Julian was was an example of that. That game was vital against Cambridge because, well, we had to match the um, result. That uh, Portsmouth were playing, Newcastle were the champions and going up, but we wanted second position, which was automatic promotion. Uh, we were playing Cambridge, who, who, if we beat on the day, were going down. So it was no easy game. It's a final. Cambridge are fighting for their lives. We're fighting to go up automatically. And to this day, I've always said I don't think had we not won the game that we'd have gone up through the playoffs because. The relief, the sheer relief at the end of it. We won the game 2-0. I came on as a sub. Julian went trundling down the left wing. I think he went through three or, three or four tackles. Certainly the last one was an amazing block tackle. He hooked the ball out and then he rolls it square to me. In all honesty, probably the easiest tapping that I've had. With the crowd on the touchlines. They were over the walls at, at, at Upton Park. They invaded the pitch. And for for a minute or two, there was some you know there was there was some problems that you know they might not get back. The game could could it certainly was stopped, but um, they then retreated. The game was finished, and uh, I say the, the euphoria that we actually finished second, but we went into the we went into the promised land, the Premier League. Is it one of the? Is it, 
emotionally, is it one of the ones you savour most from your life in football? I think, it, yeah, because I, I think it because it was so close to home, because it meant so much to the football club to be back in the, well, the first time in the Premier League. You're lucky to have savoured that. Um, I, three things we can't stop with that. One is, um, who is Doug Blevins? And, Doug. Why is, and why is he important to you? Doug Blevins was the kicking coach for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> and, and Doug Blevins was a paraplegic who rode, rode a, a little uh, bike and who I visited in Miami and who taught me to kick the American football. Quite how, bi- how are we it was bizarre. About it was crazy. Kicking coach, teaching an English footballer. And how, a, how does the, life do that? To the, you? The, the most incredible guy. And I couldn't quite believe I met him. I met him at the arrivals hall, Miami Airport. And he comes round on it on his bike. Hi, Clive. I'm Doug. And I'm thinking, I can't quite believe what what have I got myself into here? Ended up the following day on the on the uh, university sport ground. And he's teaching me how to kick in American football. As nice as you like for 20 minutes. He was very patient until I'd hooked probably a dozen balls left and right of the posts. And he went crazy. <laughs> and when I say he went crazy, he swore. He said, God damn it. He said, it's not a soccer ball. <laughs> he said, you've got to. And, and I was like, okay, Doug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I am trying. You're not trying. You're not doing. Unbelievable. He straightened me out. He sorted me out. I, I nailed it. Basically, I, I, it was a completely different technique. It was a whole new experience, obviously, having finished soccer four years before. We can call it that. It's yeah, okay. it's it was. Okay. It's football to me, but soccer. Um, and there I was playing uh, playing American You see, football. in upfront, it details the fact that you play NFL football. But, I mean, London Monarchs were no Scottish Claymores. Let, let's be ah, completely... But I, kicked, no, I kicked the winning no, field goal never against the never, Claymores never. at Murrayfield. Uh, it's there. It's in black and white. Don't go there, history. Don't, I'm going to call Doug Blake. <laughs> and I went back in the dressing rooms going absolutely crazy <laughs> to the American guys who played in... Obviously, they were all American guys who played in NFL who were playing in the summer in NFL Europe, yeah. looking at me... Are you going crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, you kicked a winning field goal. Yeah, but it's against Scotland. I just kicked the winning field goal. Like, calm down. It's like Gavin Hastings down. scoring the winning penalty for West Ham in the cup final, isn't it? Yes, exactly. It's a hell of a sport. I went to the, the thanks to the Claymores and the Expansion League, I went to the 95 Super Bowl where the 49ers trounced San Diego Chargers. And it's an extraordinary I, I love it. It's an, it's an, I, I didn't realise, and I followed it through the 80s when we first started to watch NFL yeah. In, yeah, on Channel, Channel 4, 4 yeah. to witness it firsthand. And, and I do believe that I took, I took things from it into my coaching, just in the, especially the special teams and, and how it was so important to each individual and how they honed their skills to almost just do one specific thing in the game that they had to be so good at I, I found it absolutely fascinating. It was a, it was a, I never thought it was going to happen. Mm. And I think just being given that opportunity after my professional sports career had finished, it was just, ah. And it amazing. helped you too, because d- finishing had been difficult, much harder than you could really have imagined. Absolutely. Yeah. Massive shock. Massive. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to get old. I'm not going to no. finish playing. No. And all of a sudden it's there and you, you wow, what am I going to do? It was, it was tough. It's, it's both a very addictive life. Um, sport, but football we're talking about in that. Well, Graham, it was a way of life. Mm. I was born into it. Uh, I was going to say it. Also, I always say I was a professional from the day I was born. Yeah. That's all I knew. I grew up living it. 
I experienced it, I played it, and then it was all over. Wow, that was that was uh, it was a difficult time. It was a difficult time. And and that it's all over feeling doesn't necessarily arrive like a punch in the head. It it creeps into you, and, and I, I, well, I imagine that you understand you've you've stopped and you're finished. But the the uneasiness, the the boredom, the slight feeling of being lost creeps and, and overtakes you a little bit. I think definitely yeah and and as as it was then you you never really think it's finished i still trained every day although it was on my own and just one day jogging down the lane near where i lived i got 100 yards down the lane stopped and walked home and walked in and i said i thought you was training i said no i'm done mm. it's all over mm. i'm emotional now yeah 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 but then the more next thing was was special because Dressing rooms are, are brilliant. You you you're kicking a ball, even though as Blevins proved, it's yeah, completely and then, different. And, and it was it was a real challenge, and that's what I love. But, but it's it's competitive. There's dig because you describe in the book. I won't go into it now, but like they're harsh. If you ain't doing it, you're oh, yeah. cut. You're out yeah. of there. Whereas competitive, I I, like you driving it. In. I, I didn't appreciate that. Yeah. How you know? Listen, professional football is ruthless. Yeah, but. Professional NFL is beyond belief. Brutal, eh? Absolutely brutal. No real feelings for people. No You're just a commodity. Yeah. In a way, that was an insight into the way the modern football is becoming. Mm. And it is. I'm sad to say it is, but another thing that really definitely helped and, and also helped establish you in the consciousness of, of British sport is a really loved figure. Love for your achievements. I, I think it's it's definitely my feeling because quite early I began to know that y- you came from a family of achievement and talent. And, and for example, my dad would lived all his life in Aberdeen but always told me that John White, probably had he not died in the golf course, in his view might have gone on to become considered as the greatest Scottish footballer. So that double team of your dad's, yeah. you know, was something we heard a lot about and I guess you probably never saw or knew John but I, I I suppose your dad might have mentioned him oh without a doubt yes yeah, they'd co- always talked about uh, John White the, again the, the type of footballer he was wonderful wonderful player mm. and dad's always said the best was Dave Mackay <sighs> Dave he said could do everything he was the best passer he was the best tackler he was the toughest he was the quickest he was the best header of the ball um, and Dad always said that, and that was his that was his teammate, the great Dave Mackay. Terry used to tell us a story about Dave Mackay getting maybe a, a ten ball bit or a small coin out, and sort of keeping it up and landing it in his, his top his, pocket, his top pocket of his, or in his drink, or a character I wish I'd known more of. Won the title with Derby as a coach, you know, one of the one of the cloth men as well with, at Derby. Won it as a player and a coach, absolutely, which tells you a lot about him. Soccer Saturday, I think that's what I was saying. I knew. That you're part of a dynasty, if you want. You're part of the fabric of, not for your own talent alone, but just for the fact that, wow, how many of these talented guys are there in one extended family? When you go on Soccer Saturday, it's the earliest days. And it's not without its bumps. But nonetheless, it, it must have helped you bridge a way out of being competitive, but staying within football before you became a coach again. Well, it, it was... Football was still alive for me. I think that was that was the that was the opportunity it gave me. The timing again, all about timing. I was at, in a way in the right place at the right time. My career had finished. The producer had asked me. He had this idea. 
well, what's the idea? I said, he said, it's radio on TV. Did it seem odd? What what do you mean it's radio on TV? We can have the feeds of all the games coming into the studio. We want four guys sitting there. You've got a game to watch, Clive. Just tell the public what's going on. Have a look at the, the other monitor if you want. Just you four guys in a bar chatting football. But, and, it, and it, the way he described it, you come with some credibility. You've played, you've experienced it. We've got six pilot shows. Let's see how it goes. And the rest is history. I didn't know that. That's how it started. Now, any old four? Was yeah, there? there was there, yeah. there was a guy by the name of Go on, Best. I probably think named, was. wasn't he? The best. George was the best. And I have to say, Graham, at that time, having only been finished a few years, I looked forward to the hour before the game started, just sitting with George Best, hmm. listening to his stories. And again, when I talk about and I, I don't think there's many what I call football people, but George Best was the ultimate football person. He loved the game, was the best. Everybody that I know who played against him says he was the best. I, I've seen footage of him. He was the best. He was the quickest. He was a, the, the best dribbler. He, he, was, he was the toughest. And I sat with him for numerous years in those early days of Soccer Saturday, him telling me about his experiences, which was just something well, now you know why amazing. we do this because in truth that's what you were given to us that's that's a fact well, that's what the listeners get too that, he, it's the same he was passionate about football he loved football i i just i just hope that i portray that it's as i say it's been a way of life i love the game and um i've been very privileged that it's been my my life so it was him was was frank McClintock on it frank was on it in the early days he certainly was and there was a there in that very I, I never forget, and it's always a quick quiz question that I throw out there. There was one guy who was in the very first show that didn't stay around too long, but is massive on radio today. Go on, Alan Brazil. What was it? Was Alan in the first? Alan one, was he? Did the very first Soccer Saturday, very first few Soccer Saturdays? Yeah, I remember him commentating for Sky, yeah. but I didn't know he was Mister yeah. Soccer Saturday. He was right at the start. He was part of it as well. Yeah. Well, he, he certainly made himself part of the popular culture. And when I go on talk sport with him, he just refers to me as the Dandy Dawn. So I go on <laughs> for free because that's that's magic to me. Who was the presenter? Well, there was a few in the early days, and it was uh, Paul Dempsey. There was a number before, obviously, Jeff in later over. years, Jeff. And who is extraordinary? Is is his football knowledge, and again, perfect for the show. And 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 it's iconic. It's an iconic football show now, and it and it will be for years to come. The way we'll close is that um, you know whichever club you love most, you're probably most commonly associated with Spurs because of the. The brilliance of that era, the the style of football, the cup final, how how close it probably felt to the Spurs fans that they were to glory. Overnight, um, while we were travelling, while you were on the train back from the under-21 game, the most extraordinary things have happened. By the time this goes out, people will know all about it, all about it. What, for you, is Pochettino's legacy at Spurs? I think he's taken the club to another level because of their involvement in Champions League, where they where they wanted to be. He's helped them make that step. But as we all know, it's results business, and the results haven't been certainly um, in in the Premier League what what was expected this season. 
Um, he's paid a price for that. It's a difficult time for the club. You know, we talked about the magnificent stadium that's been delivered, the training complex that is second to none, the best, best I think that I've ever, well, certainly best I've ever seen anywhere in the world. All the ingredients are there, ground for for Tottenham to achieve. There's no, the way I describe it, there's no excuses. There's 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 nothing that players, staff, even supporters can can complain about in terms of what is there. All the ingredients are there for them to be successful. So who do you turn to? And as we know... You had a premonition. You saw him at the Legends. Well, again, I don't know if that's just... I don't know if that's just my oh, upbringing. But as a, but as a, OK. I don't know if that's just that instinct that... Listen, I think I know a little bit about the game. I've, it's been, as Seconded. I say, it's, it's my life. And the very first game played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was Tottenham Legends against Inter Milan. And there was a gentleman by the name of Jose Mourinho who was sitting in the dugout taking in the surroundings... And when I, was, when I say he was taking in the surroundings, he was very happy. He liked what he saw. He was very friendly to everybody. He was, he was, the, he was the happy Jose that we know. And you just, I just had that sense that uh, he likes this. He likes what he sees. He was out of work at the time. You, you've had that experience with him before in the Bernabeu where he liked what he saw, except they both belonged to you. Exactly, Gareth Bell and Luka Modric. And again, the way he, you know, the, the, the psychological games that he plays before Champions League game, as the team came out, there he was looking at our dressing room door. Three or four came out, fourth one, Luka Modric, he's across all over Luka. How are you? I love you, Luka, blah, blah, blah. So there we are as coaches standing in the other doorway thinking, what's he doing? Two or three other players come out who now don't feel as good, do they? Because Jose's, <laughs> Why doesn't not, he want to talk to Jose's not making a fuss <laughs> of them. He obviously doesn't think I'm a player. Who comes out? Gareth Bell. Who's across? Jose all over Gareth Bell. And you're thinking, oh, you, you're cheeky. You are. You know, he knows what he's doing. He's a, he's a master at it. Listen, you cannot disregard his CV. No, you you are, are very patently not only oozing football knowledge, but you're perfectly capable to tell me I'm talking rubbish. But you know, I, I'm very s- cynical about Jose Mourinho because I know a lot that we won't speak about on on the podcast there. That makes me it makes it harder for me to respect him the way I'd like to because his ability, not just his trophies, his ability, and also what you've said there. He's he's, he's a very shrewd, tactical man probably in his everyday life. Not everybody's like that. And he gets what he wants normally because he's very good at manipulating people. Yes. For good or bad. And and in football, you probably need to be able to do that. But I'm really unclear about which Jose, the Spurs platform that you described, where there are no excuses anymore, which which kind of Jose they're getting. Graham, what I would say is I think this is his biggest footballing challenge Mm. because, and I allude back to what I said about Spurs, Tottenham have put into place all the ingredients. Mm. Jose's got no excuses. He will find a way because he does. He does. If he doesn't get the players that he wants, yeah. perhaps, but all the ingredients are there. He hasn't gone to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club not to win, not to be successful. He believes that he can do it. He believes, he's looked at the squad. You know, we know Manchester City, Liverpool, top two teams, top two squads. Under that, I think he sees this is a this is a good squad. I've got 
perhaps the best centre forward in the world. And all his teams, all his successful teams, have had a top, top centre forward. Harry Kane is there. He's got him. Right. If I can defend and keep clean sheets, we can win. And it comes back to that. When you cross the white line, it's Mm. 11 v 11, and he thinks he's got a chance of winning. That is his biggest challenge now, is winning with Spurs. You've very neatly, football journalist and broadcaster that you are, taken us full circle to the game's the same. This is all um, courtesy. You've, you're a generous man. And in the distant past, we, we kind of knew each other and bumped each other in the circuit a little bit. But Clive Allen's book up front is out, and I'm going to finish on page 246. The applause faded out as the London Community Gospel Choir began a slow but steadily quickening version of Oh When the Spurs Go Marching In. The current squad, together with manager Mauricio Pochettino, came out to take their applause, and Wynne Evans started a rendition of Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Everyone in the ground waved flags and created a cacophony of noise as the song sped up in repetition to a rousing conclusion. As ticker tape was fired into the crowd and cheers rang out, nature provided the best special effect of all. The rain had receded to be replaced by a beautifully bright rainbow emerging over the skyline behind the west stand. I looked at Dad again. A sensation came over me. In the eye of the celebrations around us on the pitch, we had both played on alongside my cousin, with thousands of people celebrating our contribution. I wanted family to come first over football. The pitch isn't bad, is it? I said. Yeah, it's beautiful, he replied. Look at all this, I said, with a tear in my eye. We did it. And you did. It's a fabulous book. A fabulous book, and it an extraordinary football life and you for my taste continue to give football and football broadcasting the thing or the things that made me fall in love with football in the first place and it's nice to be with somebody who represents the greatness of London football British football London football I hope you feel that the book has been worth doing I hope you feel that this chat has been worth doing absolutely Thank it's brought back much. some sad memories I'm s- memories. And I'm sorry about that. But um, you did extraordinary things and you continue to, to add to the, the goodness of football. Graham, I love the game. Yeah. Yeah, listen, passionately to the bottom of my soul, so do I. So it's a privilege for us, Neil and I, to be here and for the listeners to hear you with your wit and your wisdom and, and oozing the passion for football that I knew was there. I'd say to people... Go out and get Clive's book up front, but also share this podcast with people who don't understand the beauty of football, because after it, they will. Clive, you're a gentleman. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hopefully you enjoyed that big interview, which was first released as an exclusive to our socios 12 months ago. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day that they're available, It's time for you to join us, to become a socio, and for only £2.99 a month, you will get an exclusive big interview, plus regular mini-documentaries, not only all ad-free, but all featuring me, and bringing you interesting, funny, and sometimes scandalous things from Spanish football. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. That means that once you join, you will have a treasure trove of interviews with funny, elite, interesting, 
revelatory top-class footballers. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast. You will help to keep us on the road, interviewing people and sending that content for your delectation. If you go to the gym, you'll be slimmer. If you've got a dog, he or she will thank you. If you've got a TV, you can turn it off and listen to this instead. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.